0: In today's unsettling times, it's good to know that Jesus is walking with us in the present and that there's hope for our future. Jesus Today is a devotional from Sarah Young that will inspire and encourage you with assurances from Scripture that God is still in control. You can get Jesus Today at JesusCalling.com or your favorite bookseller.
1: Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast for a special Memorial Day episode featuring country music singer and Army veteran Craig Morgan and a rebroadcast of our interview with the First Lady of Louisiana, Donna Edwards. When he was growing up, Craig Morgan would never have guessed that one day he would be a member of the Grand Ole Opry. He felt a calling to join the Army where he served for nearly two decades. But during his travels in the Army, Craig began to miss the home he left behind and began to write songs that captured the place and people he held dear, and his career in country music was born. Craig's star rose steadily, held up by his faith and family. It was this foundation that carried Craig after he learned his 19-year-old son, Jerry, had died in a boating accident. In the days that followed, Craig turned to music again to capture the pain that he felt, this time writing a song called The Father, My Son, and the Holy Ghost, which would touch countless
0: lives across the globe. I'm Craig Morgan. I'm a country singer, Grand Ole Opry member, father, husband, entrepreneur, philanthropist. (laughs) I'm a country singer by trade. I'm the country singer who was born in Nashville, Tennessee. I grew up in and around this business my whole life. Uh, my dad was a bass player, played on some old shows called uh, the Ralph Emery show called Pop Goes the Country, Young Country. Um, but the whole time all this was going on, I didn't have any aspirations of becoming a singer or a songwriter or anything. Um, I, and I think that was attribute a that to the fact that it was part of my life all the time because my dad did it. Faith has always been a big part of my life. I grew up in a in a church-going, faithful Christian family. Not to say that we were perfect by any means; we were far from it. But uh, but I've always had that to fall on. I've always had that basis, that foundation, that cornerstone of faith in Christ in our life. Yeah, the military uh, was a big part, and it still is today a big part of my life. And and jo- I joined the military. Uh, ironically enough, to get away from home. Not to leave the family, you know, I had a great family life and all of those things. I just wanted to do something different. Um, and, and, I, and I always felt like I had this, uh, a different sense of respect for, for soldiers. You see them and as a kid growing up, I always thought they were, they were better people. I just had this feeling that they were heroic and and I wanted to be that guy. I tell people all the time, I didn't want to be a hero, but I did want to do heroic things. Uh, I always wanted to do the right thing. I always had this drive. Uh, Looking back, I know that it was God leading me, but that's what really pushed me into the military. and I got in and I enjoyed it so much, I always felt like I was doing something good. I uh, ended up uh, joining in some conflicts, uh, doing different things throughout my military career, almost 17 years total time in service, so in that time, I got to travel around the world and experience other cultures, and, and it just really gave me a, a deep appreciation for those who serve, their families, and our country, and a love for uh, the privilege that we have in, in the United States of America. There's a term that a lot of military personnel use, uh, once a soldier, always a soldier. And I truly believe that. Once that's a part of your life, it's always a part of your life, whether you do three years or 30 years. There's things that are learned in the military that carry forward in your life for the rest of your life. And I think one of those is gratitude, uh, especially for those military personnel who experience other cultures. And then you come back to the United States of America and you go, goodness gracious, man, how great do we have it? How special is this country that we get to do the things that we do. I definitely stay in touch with the military people because even though I'm a musician and an entertainer, I get to utilize that aspect of my life to serve those men and women that are serving. So uh, that's why I still do a lot of the things that I do, the USO shows and the tours and the things for our military. it was when I left home uh, and and joined the military. I think that's when I I developed the aspirations for writing. Being away from home created a sense of appreciation for all the things that I had left and got away from. Uh, So I started writing about it and writing uh, songs. And I think that's when it really began. And it began as a songwriter. And that turned into an artist career. For me, the progression of my career in the music because when I first started it didn't just blow up like some artists do. Uh, And it was a lot different when I started. You know, 20 years ago we didn't have American Idol, The Voice, and all of these things that we have now that launch actually catapult careers. It was a slow build. We had country radio. That was it. And that's where careers were made and broke. And I was very fortunate that my success was gradual. I'm grateful for the way my career went. I really am because I never fell off but uh, we never exploded. It's just been a, a slow crawl. You know, here we are now with 18 top tens and multiple number ones. I remember the Grand Ole Opry. But so my career just kind of did this the whole time. It's always been like that. And I'm grateful for that. And I attribute a lot of that, the, the fight to continue going forward, to the military and to my faith. Because I always felt confident in that no matter what happened in my career, whether it blow up, or fall completely off, that my life was okay. My life did not depend on the success of my music. It just didn't do it. And it still to this day does not. I'm grateful for every second of it, to the fans, the industry, and I love it. I love this industry. I love the music. I love being able to create for a living. But my life is not dependent on that. My life is dedicated to something different. I attribute the balance of family to the family, not really me. Uh, I think it's a lot harder on the family than it is me personally. I'm living my life. I'm working. For them, you know, they're not out doing what I'm doing. And I, I maintain this mental psyche that I stay busy uh, where they're they're missing dad and I'm not there. And they have to hold up the household. So I attribute the balance really uh, to more than anybody, my wife. My wife is the real rock of the family. It's not really me, and and again, our faith, our faith in God. Uh, you know, we count on that and we depend and and lean on that for everything that we do in our life. And so that always came first. Even throughout my career, God was always first, and our family was second. Everything else is after. That is residual. Jerry is our our third child in the in the order. Actually, the. One, two, three, fourth child of five, in the order of age. Um, Jerry died uh, in 2016 in a boating incident. Uh, Most difficult thing I've ever experienced in my life. I've lost family members. My mother had died a couple years before that. Um, Had a lot of things happen in my life, but that was the one thing that really shook me up and uh, broke me down more than anything that's ever happened to me in my life. When you lose someone that you love so much, my whole life revolved around my family and my God, you know. So, when you lose a part of that, there's a there's a space in you that that it's really hard to feel. I thought I was exempt from something like that because our faith was so strong. We were a good Christian family, and I thought that something like this would never happen to us. But it did, and we just we were sad. Uh, and 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 again, there is no shame in being sad and hurt. You know, blessed are the mournful. So we cry, we hurt, and we pray, and and we're healed at that moment, and then we'll do it, we'll go through that process over and over. And I think we'll do that for the rest of our lives. You know, we all walk through different phases in our life in our relationship with God. So I've gone through this relationship with God, and at this point when I'd lost Jerry, I, I felt like I didn't know enough about God, because I needed to know more to understand what was going on. I started educating myself a lot and and started really, really digging in and studying our Christian faith. And then just one night, about 3.30 in the morning, uh, the combination of the, I guess, all of these studies and the loss and God laid it on me. And I tell people all the time, God wrote this song. I did not write this song uh, I am not near as uh, talented as God would have this song be and what it's done for the healing of people. Uh, I mean, I get messages every day about this song and what it's done, and that's a God thing. That's not me. In the mornings I wake up, give her a kiss, to the kids oh. have the Father, and I also have my son still in my life, and that's what this song is about, and that's what God told me, and that's what He's given me, and, and that's what He's allowed me to, to use, uh, and, and and not only for other people, but for me. It helps me, I think. So the second time I sang the song ever in the presence of people, uh, I'd sing it with the band, i say in the presence of people, publicly. Uh, I'd done it with my daughter. She, I let her hear it you know, and played it for a few people here and there, but never really in a public uh, forum. So I did it at a writer's thing in, in Colorado, right after I was literally reading the lyric off of my phone, uh, and I couldn't finish the song. I did the first verse in the chorus. I, I couldn't even finish it. Uh, so the second time, and the only other time that I had done it, was at the, here at the Grand Ole Opry, and I performed it on stage, and I got through the song. Uh, I walked off stage. Ricky Skaggs was standing there, and I, I, I was emotional, uh, again, not ashamed of that, because it was... Such a personal thing for me. And Ricky Skaggs was standing there, and he had tears on his face. And and I walked over to him, and he grabbed me, and he said, Man, it's such a beautiful song. And I told Ricky, I said, I'm glad you got to hear it because I don't know if I'll ever do it again. It's just too much. And he grabbed me and said, You have to. And Ricky's another very spiritual man, very in tune with God. And he grabbed me, and he said, You have to sing that song. It's what you have to do. But I'm really grateful for that moment. I'm really grateful for that moment that God used him and allowed him to be a part of this because if Ricky had said, yeah, you're right, you know, you you probably don't, you don't have to put yourself through that. I might not ever have, but a lot of little things that, you know, stones that God put in the way for us to step on that uh, allows me to keep moving forward and doing this song. I hurt right now thinking about it and talking about this song and talking about what I have to go through. I feel what I feel when I sing that song, just discussing the fact that I have to sing it. So, it ain't something that's joyful for me to do, but I know that God expects me to do it, and so I must do it. It's just that simple. There's no doubt that this song has had an impact beyond anything. I will say this beyond anything I've ever done musically, uh, and I know this, and not just with families that have lost children or lost loved ones, but people that haven't experienced that at all. I get I get messages on all my social media platforms every day from people that say, man, this song, uh, the one that always rings with me is, I got a a Facebook message from a guy said, not a big believer, haven't lost anyone, dropped my daughter off at school today, heard this song, pulled over the side of the road and cried and prayed for the first time in my life. That's God. Jerry, my son, is not physically here, but his presence is still very much felt. That's that heartache we feel. That's the presence of him, the memory in our heads and in our hearts. That's what's amazing. So even though his physical presence is not here, which is weird because we still feel his physical presence. It's just like Christ in our lives. Christ is not, I can't tangibly touch him the way that I can hug you or anyone else in our lives. I can't hug people that aren't standing before me, but I still very much feel their presence. Everybody talks about these God moments, you know, where you feel something and you feel the presence of God. Uh, That's what that is. And I I still feel to have those moments with my son. And I can honestly say of all the people that have ever been in my life that have passed on, Jerry's the only other person who's not there, that I still feel the physical presence in my life. And I just, just think it's because of that father-son. And when you think about that, the father-son and the father-son, you know how that presence is still there. That's the Christ presence I feel in my life all the time. God takes care of us all. I believe that wholeheartedly. Uh, the difference is what we ask for and how we, what we accept from Christ. We have choice. Uh, that's what separates us. When we make the choice to accept God's healing, it opens us up for that eternal salvation. I believe that wholeheartedly, 100%. There's no question in my mind whatsoever. I have felt God's presence in the darkest of my life and in the highest of my life. I know that He's always been there. To
1: learn more about Craig's song or his brand new reality show called Craig's World airing on Circle TV, please visit craigmorgan.com. Stay tuned to hear from Louisiana First Lady Donna Edwards after this, a brief message about how you can find your favorite Jesus Calling products online at Target. As you shop for your favorite items at Target.com, you can also pick up a wide array of Jesus Calling by Sarah Young products at discounted prices that are sure to inspire the whole family. Whether you're looking to lift up a friend with a cloth-covered botanical edition of Jesus Always, or help your child connect to God with a pretty pink edition of Jesus Calling for Kids, you'll find something just for that special person in your life, or even yourself. Visit Target.com today and type Sarah Young in the search bar to find your favorite new Jesus Calling book. Our next guest is Donna Edwards, the First Lady of the state of Louisiana. Donna shares a little about her life and background, including partnering with her husband, Governor John Bell Edwards, in a life dedicated to public service. As part of that service and in devotion to God, Donna felt led to share Jesus Calling with incarcerated women in her state, and then visited them in person to deliver the books. She talks about that experience and the effect that gesture had on her personally, and also on the women she connected with that day.
2: I was born in Mississippi. Uh, My mom, we always uh, laugh and say she was a a domestic engineer. She is one of those women who can put out a spread of food and have it cleaned up before you, you know, go back into the kitchen. She's just she is like the hostess with the mostest, and she was always there when I came home. And literally, I remember uh, her having a Tupperware bowl of um, cookie dough, and it was pecan. Cookies, and she would scoop out every day and have fresh cookies. I mean, literally, something right out of a, out of a book. And my dad worked for um, International Paper Company, and um, you know, I was the youngest of two brothers, so I was the baby girl, and I was tough. And um, you know, he would take me out in the woods, taught me how to hunt. Um, showed me how to use a compass and, you know, he showed me how to um, handshake really firm because he'd gone to one of those Dale Carnegie courses. And so he just taught me to be strong and who I am. And, and, um, and so together they, they, um, I think produced a pretty, a pretty strong woman. You know, I can remember on Sunday afternoons after church, we'd go walking in the woods, especially in the fall, you know, swing on vines. And, uh, You know, it was just a lot of fun growing up in the neighborhood and hanging out with kids and running the roads on bicycles. and uh, And then we moved to Amite, Louisiana, when I was uh, in fifth grade, and that's when I met um, my husband. Then we started dating in high school, and uh, and then he went on to um, he was a year older than I was, so he went on to West Point Military Academy, and um, I went to. uh, to a school um, in Mississippi and um, and then we got back together and uh, after he graduated well he went to a ranger school and then um, we got married and then our first tour duty was in, in uh, Hawaii, Schofield Barracks yes and um, then we came back to the states after a couple years and then did some training and then went, ended up at uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina so we served um, a total of eight, eight years, eight, a little over eight years in the military uh, decided to come back um, after having um, two children. We came back to our hometown in Ameet, and that's when um, he went back to law school. Um, I got a law degree, and we came back and opened up a little practice in our small town. And I, we both were involved in our community for the next eight years, being involved in the church group and youth group and PTO and all that great stuff. So my husband's family um, is from a, a line of uh, public servants. His um, dad was the sheriff of our parish. Oh, his da- his brother is currently the sheriff. His dad, his grandfather, his great grandfather, and his mom was um, an emergency room for a charity hospital for. A 25, 30 years and so, you know, he was brought up around that, that public servants and giving of yourself and, and helping people and, um, and so it was just a, almost a natural thing for him to be involved in it. Um, he was asked to, to run for a state representative, the seat was open and so he did. Um, I, at the time, was um, raising three children and had gone back to school to get a certificate in teaching, and I was teaching school, and so uh, we were very busy, and like many families, and so he did, you know, he served um, at the state level, um, district, uh, as state representative for eight years. And then um, he just he just saw a lot of things that he just felt like he couldn't change. And he was either going to really go forward or just kind of get, get out and, and do something different. And so he decided just to run for governor. And to be honest with you, nobody... nobody um, really believed it um, in fact he got very little support from the, from his party very little support from a lot of the people um, around him um, so he, he and of course he had support you I mean, obviously he wouldn't be governor but he really worked hard and he um, knew this was something that he was called to do and we decided to do it together and so here we are a year and a half in the in the uh, governor's mansion. Well, the one thing that that really um, came out of this campaign stronger than anything in, in regards to my faith and my marriage is that we were together as a team John Bell and I he and I would pray every morning and we would find that strength together and we and we still do that and you know that didn't start until then um, be, not that we weren't prayer prayerful, but we didn't start every morning together holding hands and praying. Um, and so it, it forced us to do that because we were both in this together. And we knew, you know, we ha- we were up against a lot. You know, I, well, I've seen us grow, seen us both um, really become planted, if you will, and firm. You know, we've always been firm in our in, in our direction and in, in, in um, what we felt were our morals and values. We've, we've always been firm and set in that. But it's really just cemented, you know. It's just like this is who we are. And, and, you know, this is how we believe and this is what we trust. And I've said this during the campaign, you know, the second greatest commandment that Jesus said was to love your neighbor as yourself. And he never said who your neighbor was or is. He didn't say if they're black, they're white. I feel like, as Christians, we haven't done a very good job in loving our neighbor. To love your neighbor as yourself, what does that mean? That means is I am not called to judge my neighbor. I'm not called to judge you. I may not agree with you. I may not agree with what you think. I may not agree with your political position. There's lots of things that we can disagree, but and we don't necessarily have to agree. But I'm called to love you regardless. And I think that's where we're missing the boat as Christians. It's not for us to put our finger in people's face and judge. It is for us to love them. And I feel and I know that if we did more of that, we'd have more people come into Christ. You bring people together by showing them how, how this works. How do you love people? You know, you love them with the love of Christ. First of all, uh, we're, no one is perfect. We're all sinners. Jesus tells us in, in his scripture, you know, I was in prison. You visited me. You know, I was here. You know, he, there's many places in scripture where he calls us to visit those in prison when I um, went to the um, NGA, which is the National Governor Association, we always um, get with the ladies, the first ladies, and, you know, exchange ideas. It's really an op- a wonderful opportunity to find out what other states are doing. And so um, one of the other first ladies from Tennessee had uh, g- given us a flyer about um, sharing Jesus' calling with those imprisoned. And women, I thought, oh, absolutely, I'll do this without a doubt. So I came back and said, look, I want to I want to do this. I want to order these books, and told them exactly how to do it. And so, um, and they said, well, we're going to be distributing Do you want to be a part of that? I said, absolutely, I want to be there. I want to, you know, I want them to know who 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 cares about them and, and be behind it. Um, but just as God always is with me, He, um, he, um, he doesn't always show me everything. <laughs> and I had this impression in my mind that I was going to walk into this room and just, you know, talk to these few women and and hand them a book and you know just you know just spend some time with them. When I opened that door to the cafeteria and I stepped inside and a hundred and fifty women who were in prison stood up and applauded the fact that I stepped into their life that day. It was the most humbling experience. I can't even explain it. That they were so impressed with the fact that I came, you know, it still sometimes shocks me. Um, you know, because I'm just one of an ordinary person just like you and anybody else that's listening. And and so, you know, it just goes to prove, you know, those who are the least among us, those who are in prison and hospitals, they are so looking for somebody to, to to look up to for hope, somebody to give them a little bit of something, attention, and tell them they're worthy of who they are. And so, um, so it was a very humbling experience that they um, stood up and applauded. And you know, I still wonder, what is that about? What was that about? And, and, I, and I know, after visiting with them, um, we were a sign of hope for them. And when I say hope, hope that um, someone cared about them, that they weren't just thrown away. You know, we brought, through Jesus Calling, an opportunity for them to have hope. And so that was a very humbling experience. One particular lady had been incarcerated for, 20-plus years, and to hear her story, how she came to know Jesus and how He had just, you know, really had taken over her life, and um, that's humbling. That's humbling how God can change um, a person. You know, these ladies, they're incarcerated for a reason. They're serving their punishment. I don't know what they've done. I'd rather not know. Um, There is a victim. There's a victim's family, and I can't even imagine what that must feel like. To, be, to step in a, the, the shoes of a victim or a victim's family would be the hardest thing. And, and, and I pray for those families that have been affected or have their, maybe their lives turned upside down and possibly ruined by what um, another person incarcerated may have done. Um, and I'm so sorry for that. But we still have to love them and we still have to forgive them because, you know, even Jesus himself when asked, uh, uh, you know, you know Jesus, they asked Jesus give us a prayer. And he says, our father, which means he's the father of all of us. So those are our sisters in Christ. And he goes on to say, you know, forgive us, our, uh, you know, we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We ask God to forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's difficult. It's difficult. And so, you know, I think it's like many things. We just say the words and we don't really think about them. And we have to think about those words. We have to think about those words. And I think, you know, forgiveness is a really strong and hard thing to do in a lot of instances. And it truly is only with God. God's help and praying and
1: asking for God to help you, can one truly forgive? The First Lady was able to bring hope to the women in the Louisiana Correctional Institute by answering God's call to walk among them and through the gift of Jesus Calling. She goes on to talk about how she makes Jesus Calling a part of her everyday life. I feel like this is kind of like
2: a, um, a little letter from God every morning in the mailbox. You know how you used to run to the mailbox as a kid to see what was there, and you were so excited. And you know you don't get that so much anymore. You're just you're flooded with emails. But I, I feel like this is like a little note from God every day. <clears throat> and so I just I can't even hardly leave without like looking to see what, what it says. You know, it's like I can't get up from my chair until I've made sure I've read my Jesus calling. I do have one that um, that I had just uh, written about and talked about uh, in my journal, and it's August 10th. It says, "Relax in my healing." Holy Presence, and allow me to transform you through this time alone with me. As your thoughts center more and more on me, trust displaces fear and worry. Your mind is somewhat like a seesaw. As your trust in me goes up, fear and worry automatically go down. Time spent with me not only increases your trust, it also helps you discern what is important and what is not. Energy and time are precious, limited entities. Therefore, you need to use them wisely focusing on what is truly important. As you walk close to me, saturating your mind with Scripture, I will show you how to spend your time and energy. My word is a lamp to your feet. My presence is a light for your path. (laughs) We never know the plans that God has for us, and, you know, that's what's so... um, You need when you trust in God. You just you you get on the path and and you trust in that path and you and you walk that path with him and you don't know where it leads. And that's why every day is a new day and that's why every day is a gift.
1: To find out more about how you can share Jesus Calling with someone who is incarcerated, visit thenextdoor.org slash Jesus Calling. Also to see the wonderful work Donna Edwards is doing for the state of Louisiana, visit governorsmansion.org. If you'd like to hear more stories about becoming an everyday hero, check out our episode featuring Army Vet and Chick-fil-A Foundation Executive Director Rodney D. Bullard and country music artist Neil McCoy. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with author and speaker Dawn Barton. Throughout her life, Dawn has walked through more heartache than most can imagine, but through it all, Dawn's found the secret to getting back up over and over again. I am somebody who has, I've lost a child, a sweet, precious daughter. Um, I have been raped and the assailant was caught and we went through a full jury trial. I have had stage three breast cancer and survived. My mother had a brain aneurysm. I lost my sister to cancer. My husband battled with alcoholism. He's been four and a half years sober. I've had so much that I think gives me every excuse in the world to be Not joyful, but I really want to scream from the mountaintops why we should be joyful and why that it's a choice. Do you love hearing these stories of faith weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series, with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live. Find previously broadcast interviews on our YouTube channel on IGTV or on JesusCalling.com slash video.